Thank you for tuning in to the Access Church Podcast of the Week. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged by this message. So uh, last time we were together and I spoke, we talked about Jesus and the secret place of prayer. Remember? And uh, if you didn't remember, I'm just, no. Uh, We talked about the secret place of prayer. And we talked about where Jesus was in, in the synagogue teaching Later on in the evening, he uh, spent the night healing the sick. Late into the night, the Bible says, as people came, he was healing them. And then first thing in the morning, say first thing, he got up and he went to a solitary place and he spent time with his father in prayer. And the key point that we talked about was Jesus' authority over demons and his authority over disease was directly linked to his authority in prayer. If Jesus was fully God and fully man, needed, if he needed to spend time in that solitary or that secret place of prayer, uh, not distracted by all the things that you and I get distracted with, if he needed to spend that time in prayer, how much more do we need to push aside those things and spend that time with the Lord. Prayer is not kind of overcoming God's reluctance. Prayer is laying hold of God's willingness. God wants to respond to your prayers. You say, well, my prayers? Yeah, God wants to respond to your prayers. But we said it like this. Prayer, if you think in terms of a vending machine, is not like input and output. We don't put the currency of prayer in and push the button for healing, push the button for wisdom, push the button for protection. And we put in our prayers and we push exactly what we want and we take it and we walk away. Prayer is not a button that you push. It's a relationship that you pursue. And God's best is for you to be a person that knows him, that walks with him, that spends time in prayer. And so we talked about Matthew uh, chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, it says, when you pray, so the assumption is that we are to pray, right? Don't be like the hypocrites, for they pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. So you can check the motive here. They stand on the street corners. Their motive is to be seen uh, by others, Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. If your motive in prayer is to be seen and noticed by others, the reward is being seen and being noticed. And so it says when we pray. So the assumption is that we pray. It addresses the why, which is the heart motivation. That prayer is supposed to be personal. Obviously, it's public as well, but it's supposed to be relational. It's supposed to be personal. But then it says the where, it talks about when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what's done in secret, this is awesome, because you could take this one of two ways, that my father in heaven sees all things, right? He sees everything. Like he, he sees your browsing history on the computer, he sees your credit card statements, he sees the motives of your heart, he sees what's done in public, and he sees what's in the privacy of your office at work. And you can hear that, and it's like, ooh, I don't want a God that sees. But think of it this way, that there's nothing that you do that's outside of his 
his grasp and his understanding. The Bible says he delights in every detail of your life. He sees test results. He sees what that does to your heart. He sees the confusion that comes. Like God sees absolutely everything. He sees it all. And that should be a wonderful reality. You don't run in fear. You embrace the reality of God sees everything. And he sees what's done in secret, and he what? Rewards. I've said before, and I'll say it again, you are not hardwired for condemnation. God built you with a desire to receive rewards. And the Bible says that when you pray, and when your motive is right, he sees, and you will, say, I will, be rewarded. Now, how? We live in a world of how-tos, right? Remember the black and yellow books, how to change the oil in your car, how to do this, how to do that. I had to change a fuse in our microwave the other day. So I got on YouTube, how do you change a fuse in a Mitsubishi or whatever the microwave is, and I changed the fuse. And I've changed it probably four times because I'm probably missing something, but I'm following a how-to. We live in a world of how-tos. How do you do this? And you follow the steps. So the disciples, is, they come to Jesus and they want to know, like, how, how do we pray? How, 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 how? We know the when, we know the why, like, how do we pray? And so we have the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter, or Matthew chapter 9. Actually, we're in the Sermon on the Mount. We get to Matthew chapter 9, 6, sorry, I don't know where I'm at this morning. Chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount. And it's talking about uh, fulfilling the law. It's talking about giving to the needy. And then we get to this section on prayer. And it says, this is then how you should pray. Now, I want you to understand the obvious, okay? As we are about to read the Lord's Prayer today, and we're going to talk through this in, in two pieces. So first piece will be today, next uh, peace will be next week. A lot of times we get to this, and I've had people ask me, I had somebody email me before, and they said, why don't we recite the Lord's Prayer in church? Well, at least two of you have wondered that. <laughs> why don't we recite the Lord's Prayer? Because they grew up in, in a church that maybe was a little bit formal when it came to those kind of uh, things, and I'm not knocking that. But one of the things that I want you to see And never once in the Old Testament referred to the father of an individual. You can search through the Old Testament. You won't find it once. So when Jesus now steps on the scene and he starts by talking about prayer and he says, you can address God as a father, all of the sudden it carried a profound sense of confusion. What in the world? That we could address the sovereign God, the father of the nation of Israel, as a personal father. In fact, in Jesus' day, the contemporaries of Jesus' day, uh, they they only addressed God as as they they, they were very careful in how they would address God. And in the four gospels, they record using father more than 60 times in reference to God. So in the New Testament, when Jesus shows up, his contemporaries, they're not going to use the word father. They use the name Yahweh, or they'll use the name Jehovah. 
But when Jesus shows up on the scene and you look at his prayers in the four gospels, he's referencing the father 60 times. Jesus references the father 60 times. And the name that he's using is the Aramaic word that a child would address their dad. And it was Abba. Not only was it the word father, but the idea here, Abba, father is great intimacy, the affectionate respect and the security that a young child would feel in the arms of a loving father. That's amazing. That's way beyond like our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. No, you can address God today as a father. You can have an intimate relationship. You can have your security, you can have your identity, you can have the affection of him. And so Jesus is saying this word, and it's very reverent. He's saying, dearest father in prayer, my dearest father in heaven, he's asking his disciples, pray on the basis of the father who is in heaven. And what he's doing, he's actually kind of wiping the slate clean, and he's clearing and correcting their perception of who God really is. It's amazing because what he's doing is when Jesus is teaching on prayer, he's saying that as we approach the dearest father in heaven, he's actually saying that he's sharing now in his sonship. He's sharing in the fact that this father empowers. He's saying that their heavenly father should be just as familiar And they should be trusting him as as just as a child would their earthly father. That you can come and approach him on that basis. So he is a king. Amen? Amen. He sits on a throne in heaven. Amen? Amen? We are seated with him, the Bible says, in heavenly places, which is awesome. But we approach him as our dearest father. Our father. My father. Your father, hallowed be your name. What does that mean? It means let your name be made or be treated as holy. Now, think about this, the intimacy of a child and a father, right? You get that intimacy. Our father, hallowed be your name. Let your name be holy, The idea here is God is so set apart that he's set apart, that he's so holy that he's holy, that we bear his name, that he's to be treated with highest honor in every area of our lives. So I'm thankful that I can approach him him as my dearest father, but in the same phrase, Jesus is teaching that every decision of every day Every moment of every day, every word that I speak, every thought that I think, every decision that I have is an opportunity for me, the one that addresses him as the dearest father, to honor him in every fiber of my being, with my lips, with my life, with the actions and the attitude and the motives of my heart. So we are to be familiar, right? He's our father, but he's also holy like no one is holy. He's also set apart like no one is set apart. And unfortunately, we live in a world that profanes his name all around us. And when you hear that, there should be something 
that, man, it just grips you when you hear it. That you, there's just something that it's like, no, that's my dearest father that you're talking about. That's my dearest father that is holy. That is my dearest father that is so set apart that there is no one like him. And we live in a culture that almost normalizes trampling on his name. But we pray to our father in heaven and we honor his name with our lives. Amen? Amen. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is a powerful phrase. And if you grew up in just a formal whatever where you just recite it, you lose the significance and the weight of what Jesus is saying. We can approach him as our dearest father. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be holy in every area of my life. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Talk about kingdom coming. Now, there's a lot of people that kind of try, you know, we try to like take things in scripture and debate them and divide them and try to figure out, well, what does this really mean? And I would encourage you to just, I think you can have a deep faith, but never lose this, the simplicity of me. Scripture, right? If it says I'm healed, I'm healed. If it says God's my provider, he's my provider. If it says his kingdom is coming, it's coming, right? But like people want to, well, what does that mean? Well, there's a lot of interpretations when it comes to kingdom coming. Some people talk about the return of Christ and his kingdom's coming when he returns. And so they'll look at it and say, well, that has nothing to do with this present life. There are other people that'll talk about the kingdom coming and they take that as kind of this mandate to usher in and bring the kingdom and they, they wake up in the morning and their, their like heart is bent on ushering in the kingdom in every layer of society and we need to rule and we need to reign with Christ and so we need to be in charge and like, you know, we want to rule and reign through our actions and serving and all of those things. But then you come to scriptures like John 18, 36, that Jesus says, my kingdom is not of what? He said, if it was... I would have told you. So there are some people that believe the kingdom is when Jesus will eventually come, so it has nothing to do with now. Other people believe we usher in and they have like almost this like militant attitude about like, you know, we, we need to rule and reign and so we're taking the school board, we're taking the government, we're gonna be, we're gonna be in charge, you know? And Jesus is like, my kingdom's not of this earth. If it was, I would have told you. But since I didn't tell you that, it's not of this earth, right? And then there are some people that believe the kingdom coming is spiritually fulfilled in the salvation and the hearts of the people in which the kingdom resides in. And I definitely lean wholeheartedly towards that direction. And there are bits and pieces of other views, and it doesn't have to be one or the other, but there are pieces. I think a lot of times we just have a hard time piecing pieces together and pushing aside the extremes, right? So is kingdom coming? Yes, Jesus will come. Yes, that will be the fulfillment, right? Do we advance his kingdom? Are we involved in the works of the kingdom on the earth? Yes. Is the kingdom in our hearts and is it connected with the salvation? Absolutely. But when Jesus came, 
The challenge was the people, right? Israel was looking for God to send anointed leader that was going to free them from oppression. And so that's why they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. They wanted someone that was going to come and rule and reign on the earth. And yet Jesus is saying, that's not what my kingdom really is about. Now, I can't get into a whole message on kingdom theology. That would be like a series, and we could do that in the future. But the way we describe kingdom theology, your kingdom come, is this way. It's already here, but not yet. Look at the person next to you and say, it's already here. Look at the person next to you and say, but not yet. So is the kingdom here? Yes. Is it already perfectly in order? And no, not yet. So it's here, but not yet. It's not yet, but here, right? So it's already here, but not yet. When Jesus came to earth, he brought the kingdom in his own person. He began his public ministry, right? And and the first words out of his mouth, reading from Isaiah, he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is what? Near. Later, he said of himself, the kingdom of God is what? In your midst. Jesus was, and Jesus embraced the things of the kingdom, right? And so when we say that Jesus was the kingdom, what we mean is he's the only person that fully accepted, he's the only person that fully carried out the will of the Father. He was passionate about the kingdom. He talked about it over and over before the cross. He said, I must preach the good news of what? The kingdom of God. After the resurrection, he appears for 40 days. And over that period of time, the Bible says he spoke about the kingdom of God. So as we pray to our dearest father in heaven who is set apart, we pray for the kingdom to come. What does this mean? It means a whole lot. When you pray, God, would your kingdom come? What you're praying is, may my life align with your will. May I become like you. May I join with you. May I advance in the things that you would advance in. May I embody the things that you embody. May you push out and press out and refine out everything that wasn't in the life of Jesus as his kingdom comes. It's a very personal thing to pray. It's a very dangerous thing to pray. Because when you say, God, would your kingdom come, guess what's not changing? You. Unless you're perfect. And my guess is that Ashley's the only perfect one in the room. No. We're all right. And so God, when, when your kingdom comes, when we say, God, may my life align with your word, you're saying, God, would you change me? God, would you mold me? God, would you shape me? God, would you take me? And instead of just putting me into a medical office to do what medical people do, God, may I see through your eyes. God, may my hands be used like Jesus' hands. It changes everything. It's not just a couple cute words that you say. May your kingdom come. So as we pray this simple kingdom come prayer, 
we're praying a very dynamic prayer. Here's what we're praying. God, I'm praying for the final, ultimate fulfillment of your kingdom to come. That will take place one day. But we are in the same way. We're praying, God, may I be conformed to your will in my day. And God, may you use my life as you see fit. May your kingdom come and then your will be done. Where? On earth. God's will in heaven is perfect. Amen? Is there sickness in heaven? No. Are there tears in heaven? No. No. Is there lack in heaven? No. Is there struggle in heaven? No. God, may I perfectly align with your will in every area of my life. Mold me, shape me, conform me. But now may your will, that which is perfect in heaven, be done where? On this earth. In your office. In your home. In your neighborhood. In your family. In the relationship with the guy that you, if we're having a non-Jesus moment, you'd want to. Lay a brotherly hand on them. (laughs) God, may your kingdom come even that relationship. Because you can't just pick and choose. God, may your kingdom come in church. No. God, may your kingdom come at work, but not not in my home. No, God, may your kingdom come on the earth. Now, this is just as powerful of a prayer because, God, may your kingdom come on the earth. Like, we have this kind of thing in our minds that you have to ask the Lord to, like, flush out, okay? That God's going to do whatever he's going to do and that we have no part to play. If you believe that, then it's very easy to just sit back and say, My life, my prayers, my actions, my attitudes, my words make no difference because God is sovereign and he's going to do whatever he wants to do. But the Bible says his will is that who perish? None. Does that happen? No, right? He wills that everyone come into relationship with him. There are things that are perfect in heaven that are not made right on the earth. And so, Lord, may your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You need to know that Jesus' priority was to submit to the will of the Father. And the Bible says we're to emulate his life. John chapter 4, verse 34, Jesus says, my food, say food. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of of him who sent me to finish the work. Jesus said, the essence of me, the food of me, like what I desire, what I need, what I'm about, the food of me is to do the will of him who sent me. Think about Jesus in the garden. We talked about this two weeks ago, Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. If it's possible, may this cup be what? Taken from me. 
yet not as what? I will. Now, you need to see yourself as a Christian, that you're bridging the gap between these two things. So as a Christian, you're in this world, but you're a citizen of heaven. Amen? You're asking the Father, may your will be done, that which is perfect in heaven, may that be done on the earth. And the one thing that's between the two places is you empowered, guided, and yielded to the Holy Spirit who's trying to accomplish whose will? Not mine, (laughs) his will. If you can ask the Lord to get that within your heart, it should shape everything that you do. You don't just have a job. You have a ministry that God has placed you in. You're in this world, but you're not of it. You're, you're bridging the gap between the two things at the, at, at, at the same time. Jesus, as he's in the garden, he's like, Lord, I don't want to drink of the wrath of God. But Lord, may your will be done. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he saw the Father doing. He was bridging the gap between the two. And that's you and I today. Does that make sense? We're going to pick this up next week. But you need to see that prayer is so much more than just, now I lay my head to bed. Now I, I, You can tell I don't even pray. I don't know how to rhyme it. Now I lay my head to sleep. I pray my soul that my kids don't pee or whatever. (laughs) But it's so much more than any of that. It's not a button that you, you know, you put your currency in, you hit your button, you walk away. You don't have a transactional relationship with God. He's your dearest father in heaven, set apart in every way. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And as you pray that, you're saying, God, would you use my life this week as you see fit? I love that. I love it. We have so much ministry that's going to take place in this building over the next couple months, and I love that. But you have to guard against my relationship with God is all about what I do at church. So I'll go to the next Bible study, I'll go to the next event, I'll serve here and I'll do all. Those are all wonderful things. You should do all those things. But may we never lose the the grasp on this understanding that I'm in this world and God is using my life to bridge the gap between these two places all throughout the week. That's your assignment. That you come on Sundays, that you're equipped, that you're challenged, that you're encouraged, and then you're sent out And you represent Jesus all throughout the week together. Amen? Amen. Stand with me as the worship team comes. We're going to pick this up soon. Thank you for tuning in to the Access Church Podcast of the Week. We hope that you are both challenged and encouraged by this message. 